Hello, and welcome to the Math Playground. I'm Nick. In this episode, I would like to take a look at and examine a very famous proof that I believe every student should be exposed to and at least have the opportunity to experience its beauty and elegance. But first, let's take a look at just how many numbers there are. So the first numbers we typically are all exposed to are just, well, the counting numbers, right? These are also called the natural numbers. So they begin one, two, three, four, five, right? And so on, and right? And they go on, well, forever. And if somebody said, well, what is the biggest natural number? Right? Somebody said, well, I have the, I found the biggest natural number. And someone else could say, well, no, you haven't, right? Because whatever number you think is the biggest natural number, I could just go ahead and add one to that number, right? So the natural numbers go on forever. And we could add maybe zero to this number, right? To these numbers, right? And then have something called maybe the, the whole numbers. But then we could see that every one of these numbers, one, two, three, and so on, they all have an opposite, right? I guess the real name for that would be the additive inverse. It's the number that we add to that number to get zero. And zero is called, well, the additive identity. It's the identity because it doesn't change, right? Whatever number you have, right? Um, call it A, right? A plus zero is equal to A for any A you want, right? Um, but then every number has this opposite called its additive inverse um, that you add to get zero. So the opposite of one would be negative one. The opposite of two would be negative two. The opposite of three would be negative three, right? And so on. And now um, we extended numbers going forever on the number line, forever to the left and forever to the right. But between two numbers, right? There's numbers that are not these particular numbers and these numbers are called the integers so basically we can write down all of the integers. we can go from one integer to the next integer um and we have them all we can't write them all down because they go on forever but we have all of the integers now are these all of the numbers well if you look between any two numbers so Again, if you make these numbers on a number line, if you go one, two, three, four, and so on, well, how far apart do you place these numbers? I mean, you can go from one number, one integer to the next integer, but there's always gonna be some space between these integers, right? And are there any numbers in between in this space between integers? Well, Let's just look at between zero and one. I mean, and there's certainly numbers in there, right? That are not integers, right? Just take between zero and one. If I take one cookie, one, one cake, one anything, I could always just chop it in half, right? And then take one of those pieces. And now I have a number. I have something that is going to be less than the whole thing. If my one unit, my one thing is one cake, if I chop that in two pieces and I take one of those pieces, well, then I have something that's I have cake that is more than zero. It's more than zero cake, but it's less than one. It's less than the whole cake. So it's some number between zero and one. And right, we call this number a half, right? I call it a tooth, right? It's one out of two pieces. 
we could do it again. We could chop that cake or whatever it is, whatever it is, we could chop it into as many pieces as we want, right? And we could have one over two, one over three, one over four. I could chop it into a hundred pieces and take one over a hundredth, right? And I have one hundredth of the whole cake. But then you can see that we can chop this cake, whatever it is, into as many pieces as we want, right? And eventually the pieces are gonna get so small, we might not be able to see them anymore. But in our mind, we could really chop whatever it is into as many pieces as we want and just take one of those pieces. Or we could take maybe two of the pieces, right? But we could see that if we just take one piece, then one over n, as n gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, is going to get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. So it looks like one over n, right? We could say maybe the limit, right? As we, as we make n get bigger and bigger and bigger, this number is gonna get smaller and smaller and smaller. It looks like it's gonna be approaching zero, but it's always going to be something. So we have, if we look at just between zero and one, we have all of these numbers that are not integers, right? They're fractions that are called rational numbers. Um, between, just between zero and one, um, there are, we can see an infinite amount of numbers between zero and one that are not integers. We could do the same thing between one and two or one and, or two and three. We could chop that whatever the space is between two integers into as many pieces as we want. And we could see that there's all these numbers, these fractions, these rational numbers between two, any two whole numbers or any two integers that are not integers. Okay, so it looks like that the entire number line now is going to be filled up with all of these numbers, right? We have all the integers. We go from one integer to the next. And between two integers, we have as many numbers as we want that are not integers, that are fractions. So what is a fraction? Well, a fraction, or we can call this a rational number because it's the ratio of two integers. A rational number is defined as, well, A over B, such that A and B are both integers. So that's what a rational number is, and is every um, counting number, one, two, three, four, and so on, or even negative one, negative two, negative three, and so on, going off to the left, are all of those rational numbers. Well, we just created a definition on what a rational number is. It's just a fraction. And what is a fraction? It's, a, it's something you can put as two numbers or two integers over themselves. So anything A over B, where A and B are both integers. And well, there's a little bit of stipulation that I just forgot about that B cannot be zero. And I might make a, a separate video. We talk about um, why we cannot divide by zero. But right now, we just, we can't. If B was zero, we get into all kinds of trouble. We really don't make any sense. So B, so zero is an integer, but B, the, so the, the bottom number or the denominator is not allowed to be, um, to be zero. But for any other integers, A over B, being integers, um, A over B is going to be a fraction or a rational number. And I think, I mean, at least if we made a number line, it kind of seems at least logical to me right now that every number um, is going to be a rational number. Now, let's consider a triangle, a right triangle. 
what I mean by a right triangle. Just make a triangle where we have a straight line down and a straight line over. So those two lines meet at a 90 degree angle. They're both straight. Um, and then you can connect those two lines together to create yourself a triangle and pretend that your triangle um, has a side lengths of both one. So we have those two sides that are going to create um, that right angle are both going to be one. One what? One anything, right? They're both one unit. They could be one foot, one inch, um, one meter, one kilometer, one mile, one whatever you want. Um, we have these two sides of our triangle are both one unit long. But then how long is the longest side or the side opposite the right angle? Um, also known as the hypotenuse of our right triangle. Well, um, by the Pythagorean theorem, which has been proven many, many times, um, we know that the sum of the squares of the legs, or those, so the legs are the two sides that make the right uh, triangle. The sum of the squares of the legs is always equal to the square of the longest side um, or the side opposite. So we have that one squared plus one squared is going to be equal to whatever that longest side or whatever the hypotenuse is squared. So one squared plus one squared is just one plus one, which is two. So that side length is going to be, um, is going to be, well, something squared is going to be equal to two and finding the square root of that. So it's going to mean that that side length is going to be the square root of two. The square root of two is the number that you square to get two. So that side length has to be equal to exactly the square root of two. So the square root of two exists. It's a number um, that we can create where we can create this, this side of a right triangle that is exactly the square root of two. And it seems I think logical that the square root of two should be a fraction. It should be a rational number. Well, if it was, we can go ahead and just assume that it is and then do some math and have kind of our minds blown. And so this is again, a famous, famous proof that the square root of two, well, is not a fraction, but how can we see this? Well, if you assume that the square root of two is going to be equal to a over b such that a over b are both integers right that's what it means to be a fraction or a rational number so if the square root of two is rational where it seems like every number right now should be rational well then square root of two must be equal to a over b where a and b are both integers and while b cannot be zero and we can make one more further assumption here. We can assume that A over B is going to be in reduced form or is simplified, or really what we're saying here is that A over B, um, there's no common factor, nothing that goes into evenly A and B. Why can we make this assumption? Well, I mean, think of any fraction you want. You can always, if there is a common factor, something that goes in evenly to both numbers, you can always just divide it out and you can keep doing this until you get to a point where you can't um, divide out anything any further. So it's known that any fraction you have, you can always reduce it. I mean, you can always put it in lowest terms where there's no common factor 
of the top and bottom number where there's no common factor of the numerator and denominator. So this is going to be key in this proof. We can assume here that the square root of 2 is going to be equal to a over b, where a and b um, have no common factor. Well, then we can just go ahead and we can do um, some math on this. So if square root of 2 is equal to a over b, uh, we could just square both sides. If we have an equation that's equal, so right now square root of 2 equal to a over b, um, we can do the same thing to both sides of the equation, and we're not going to change um, if this equation is still equal. So we can go ahead and square both sides. Well, the square root of 2 squared, or square root of 2 times square root of 2, is equal to 2. So we get 2 is equal to, well, we square a over b. So a over b times a over b is going to be a squared over b squared. So right now we have that 2 is equal to a squared over b squared. Okay, so now, well, we can always um, just multiply by the bottom of a fraction to kind of like kill it off because if we have two is equal to a squared over b squared, we can multiply here both sides by b squared um, because b squared over b squared is one, right? Anything over itself is equal to one. So the b squared over b squared, people say cancel, but it cancels because it becomes one. So multiplying here both sides by b squared, we're going to get that two times b squared is equal to just a squared. Okay, so 2b squared is equal to a squared. Well, what does that mean? That means that um, a squared is even. What does it mean to be even? Well, a number is even um, if it's 2 times some integer. That's what it basically means to be even. So, if 2b squared is equal to a squared, or a squared is equal to 2b squared, that means that um, a squared is even. Why? Because remember, b was some integer, b squared is some integer, so a squared is equal to 2 times some integer. Well, 2 times some integer, that means that a squared must be even. So a squared is even. Well, if a squared is even, that is going to imply that a is even. Now, this is a little bit of a side proof and a little bit of a subtlety here. Um, but why, if a squared is even, why does a must be even? Well, if you think, what if a was odd? And if you multiply an odd times an odd or an odd times itself, an odd times an odd is always odd. Um, you can think, I mean, you can do some examples here. If you do, you know, 5 times 5 is going to be 25, right, um, which is odd. Uh, 3 times 3 is, is 9, which is odd. Um, 7 times 7, uh, 49, which is odd. But if you did, in general, an odd number, so an even number is always 2 times some integer, right? So you can, if you say k is some integer, then 2 times k is what it means to be even, while an odd number is always one more than an even number. So therefore, an odd number in general is 2k plus 1. And if you do 2k plus 1 times 2k plus 1, you basically get uh, 4k squared plus 4k plus 1 by distributing. This is, again, a little bit of a side proof, but then you can kind of factor out the 4k. You get 2 times 2k times k plus 1, which again is just 2 times 2k because k can be any integer. So k plus 1 is some integer um and then you get you get 2k plus one so a side proof that we're gonna i mean we kind of went over that kind of quick but um if a squared is even i mean that means that a must be even why because if a wasn't even if a wasn't even then a would be odd and if a was odd an odd times an odd is always odd but a so if a was odd a squared would be odd but a squared is not odd a squared is even 
So therefore, if a squared is even, a could not be odd, a must be even. You can check for some even numbers, right? I mean, anytime you have an even times an even, well, you do get an even. Um, four times four is equal to 16, which is even. So because a squared is even, that implies that a must be even. Okay, so if a is even, what can we say? Well, if a is even, that means that a is going to be equal to two times some integer. So we could say that a is gonna be equal to, let's say 2k, where again, k is any integer. So if a is equal to 2k, then um, remember we have, right? We started with square root of two equal to a over b, and then we got two is equal to a squared over b squared, and then we had that two b squared is equal to a squared. So we have this equation, two b squared is equal to a squared, but now we know what a is, right? Because a being even, a must be equal to 2k. So we have 2b squared is equal to a squared, but then we can go ahead and write that as 2b squared is equal to the quantity 2k squared, right? Because um, a is equal to 2k. So because 2b squared is equal to a squared, that means that 2b squared is equal to the quantity 2k all squared. But what is 2k squared? Well, we can, two, that's 2k times 2k, which is 4k squared. So we have that 2b squared is equal to 4k squared. So 2b squared equal to 4k squared. What can we do? Well, we could just um, divide both sides by two. Two over two is equal to one. So since we have 2b squared is equal to 4k squared, if we divide both sides by two, we get that b squared is equal to 2k squared. So b squared is equal to 2k squared. Um, what does that mean? Well, that means that b squared is equal to two times some integer. Remember that k was some integer. So k squared is some integer. So b squared is equal to two times some integer. That means that b squared must be even. And by the same token, if b squared is even, that means that b must be even. Why? Because if b was odd, right? An odd times an odd is always equal to an odd number. So if b was odd, b squared would be odd, but b squared is not odd. b squared is even, therefore we have to have that b must be even. So what do we have? What do we have? We have that a, we found first that a was even, and then we found that b was even. So if, if the square root of two is equal to a over b, then we get that a and b must both be even, but wait a minute, we assumed that a over b was in reduced form. We assumed and we were able to make this assumption that a over b um, had no common factor. Well, if, if a and b are both even, they both have a common factor of two, right? So therefore, um, we have a contradiction. We have that a over b, they do have a common factor. a over b is not in reduced form. So what happened? what happened something must have went wrong because our so all the math we did was really beautiful um there was no right we didn't pull any um kind of crazy you know nothing illegal mathematically we never divided by zero nothing illegal happened our math was perfect but we ended up with something that was a contradiction something that couldn't happen so the only thing that has to be wrong here is our initial assumption we assumed that square root of two was equal to a over b. 
and we assumed that a over b was in reduced form, which it always could be in reduced form if square root of 2 was equal to a over b. But then we got to a contradiction, and we saw that a over b was not in reduced form because a and b were both even, meaning they both have a common factor of 2. Therefore, our initial assumption must be wrong, and square root of 2 cannot cannot be equal to a over b. What does that mean? That means that square root of 2 is not a fraction. Square root of 2 cannot be a rational number. So that means that square root of 2 is irrational. Irrational numbers exist, which is a um, kind of a shock. I mean, it was a huge shock for humanity. I mean, humans <laughs> believed for a long time that every number was a fraction. Every number was rational, which again, I think is logical to make that assumption. But then we just have, this is a proof that I believe everybody can understand. Again, going through it um, on a podcast might be a little hard to understand, um, but try this for yourself. Try if, write this out, square root of two equal to A over B and just do some math on this and you'll come try to come to the conclusion that a and b are both even and then you realize that square root of two cannot be equal to a over b so the first person that actually approved this um was actually so there's, there's a famous story about this um i believe they were on um he, he actually was on a boat and he you know said that he had this proof um kind of just like this and he was actually uh sadly he was thrown overboard and they drowned him they, they, they drowned him because um, people didn't believe that square root of two um, could be equal, could not be equal to a fraction. Um, so square root of two is irrational. Irrational numbers exist, and there are some other um, kind of famous irrational numbers. But personally, I do not know <laughs> for a fact. Now, to say that I don't know, I mean, it's been this is again, it's been proven many times that pi is irrational, right? So what is pi? Pi um, is, well, it's equal to approximately 3.1415926 and so on. And um, that so on, that those numbers, that, that decimal expansion of pi goes on um, forever. But proving that pi is irrational is not, is not easy. I've seen a proof of it, and personally, I don't understand the proof um, that pi is irrational. So somebody proved it. This proof has been accepted many times, right? So we know that pi is irrational, but um, I like to know, for me to know for certain that something is true, I like to see the proof. I want to understand the proof. And I know that square root of two um, is definitely irrational. And I believe that all students should be able to see this proof and should be able to understand and appreciate that square root of two is irrational, right? There's no reason to keep this proof only if you're going to be a math major or, you know, I mean, really starting, I think in early, you know, middle school or even earlier, um, students could actually, you know, see this proof that the square root of two is irrational and you know have a piece of mathematics a piece of mathematics that they can truly you know just um own and you know hold in their hands and you know just know for a fact that the square root of two cannot be um a fraction is kind of it's, it's a little shocking it makes it makes you feel a little uneasy um <laughs> 
but I think there's this beauty there, right? Knowing that the square root of two is irrational, that um, every student should be able to see and appreciate. All right, so yeah, square root of two is irrational. Um, I think we'll stop the podcast here for today, but I will see you all very soon. Um, Cheers galore, joyful math for all, and take care. Bye-bye.